0: Hi, this is Shinta Simon from CaramelTintedLife.com and you are listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast.
1: Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave Eat Blog Talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in your business. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 285. Today, Shinta is joining me, and I'm super excited because she's going to talk to us about prioritizing SEO over Pinterest and using a project management approach to food blogging. Shinta has been the food blogger behind Caramel Tinted Life for five years, and in the last two years, she managed to make it a steady source of income while being a mom of two, living in Switzerland as an Indian origin expat. The recipes on her food blog are centered around recipes from her Indian heritage and quick and easy meals using budget-friendly appliances such as the Instant Pot and the Air Fryer. Hey, Shinta, thank you for being here today. I'm so excited
0: to talk to you. Hey, Megan, I'm excited as well. I feel like I already know you because I've listened to your voice. I've been hearing the podcast for several months. So I feel so familiar with you already.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. That always makes me so happy. Uh, Before we get into our topic today, what is the fun fact you want to share with us?
0: Oh, yeah. So the fun fact about me um, is that uh, in a large chunk of my adult life, I've actually moved so many places, moved across uh, continents and moved uh, so many homes. Um, In fact, for a period of over 13 years, I've moved 11 times and you know that includes different cities and different continents so I was based in Bangalore in India for a while where I was working and then I moved to Holland with my husband for his career and then we moved back to India and then now then um, around eight years ago we moved to Switzerland which is what I call home now Um, but uh, you know it's been uh, the place we're living in right now has been our home for just around four years uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's kind of a bit unsettling, you know, to have been in a place for as long as four years. It makes me feel a bit, uh, I, I'd like, I'd like to move at some point. One part of my brain tells me, you know, let's, let's get prepared for the next move, which I know is not so easy because I have a toddler now and an eight year old as well. So, um, we're going to stay put for sure for some time. Oh.
1: You have that adventurous spirit, it sounds like, like you just have it ingrained in your brain that you need to get up and go. But I really love hearing that. So Switzerland, you're in Switzerland now. Is that what you just said? Exactly. We live in Switzerland right now. Okay, so I know nothing about Switzerland. What is it like living there? Give me a few details.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. And uh, it's, uh, I mean, everybody who says that about the country, even people who've just been here as visitors for a short while. But it's a fact, you know, it's it's beautiful. And uh, no matter where you go, everything is just picture perfect. Uh, the place I used to live in before, I had a great view of uh, the Swiss Alps from my window on a clear day. And uh, it's just as they show in the postcards. In fact, it's even better in real life. So, It is definitely beautiful. Uh, Expat life does have its ups and downs. Um, You know, there is always an issue with not being super comfortable with the language, which is uh, a work in progress for me. Uh, But uh, by and large, uh, you know, looking at everything, um, you know, uh, from from the point of view of my kids and as a family, it's been a good ride so far.
1: I've heard and I've seen pictures, too, of just it being so beautiful. So... Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's always fun to learn about other places and what it's like. Um, okay, well, let's talk about SEO today and prioritizing SEO over Pinterest. So would you start by just telling us about how you decided to start prioritizing SEO over Pinterest? What what launched you into that decision?
0: Yeah, so... Um- you know, at uh, one point when I was working through my blog, I kind of decided to really sit down and get intentional with what I would prioritize in terms of the various tasks. And as you're well aware, uh, a food blogger is always multitasking. There's so much going on in the day-to-day life of a food blogger, right? There's so much we need to be abreast of. We need to be up to date with all of the trends. And there's so much that we're handling that I decided that it was really imperative for me to get focused on. A few things, and uh, if it meant that I had to drop the ball down the way um, on certain things that were not really leading me to uh, my goal, which was to grow traffic, uh, I decided, you know, so be it. And uh, I made that decision to prioritize SEO I think sometime in 2019, and that was a result of me um, you know, going through a lot of resources that were out there, reading, reading up quite a bit, and then being part of different food blogger forums and listening to podcasts such as yours. Um, and uh, that led me to understand that SEO is really the way to go if you want to future proof your website and make sure that uh, it is sustainable and it has the longevity that you need. Uh, if you want to, if you plan to make uh, food blogging a career in the long term, uh, so I realized down the way that uh, SEO is about so many things, right? Oh, it can be overwhelming as well, uh, and I came across this quote at some point, which said that content is king, but uh, distribution is queen, and she wears the pants, uh, and that can be said. For that's the case with SU as well, right? So SU is certainly queen, and she definitely wears the pants when it comes to food blogging, right? um so uh, an seo is not just like one quick thing it it's not just one thing that you check off your list it is so much so much that goes on um there's on page seo there's off page seo there's under the hood stuff and i'm certainly no expert when it comes to seo uh, but uh, i've picked up a few tips along the way and uh, i realized that on page seo which a lot of us talk about which uh, you know it's, it's a cumulative effect of having the right kind of keyword research and making sure that you uh, you have long form content and it's it's just a small part of the overall picture right there's also other things such as off page seo that also matters and so does Things that happen under the hood of your blog, such as site speed, and then having the right category structure, and then having the right plugins, and making sure you have a plugin audit, and so on and so forth. And uh, one of the things that really I benefited from was to have a, a SEO audit with uh, Casey Maki, and I think everybody knows of him in the food blogging world. And that really helped me to decide my way forward when it when it came to focusing on SEO so um and then i realized that uh, you know a lot of things about seo actually make a lot of sense uh, if if the goal of a food blogger is to grow traffic eventually um, then we look at traffic by in two terms right we look at it as uh, we, we look at it as coming from social media so that would be inorganic traffic and then organic traffic which comes largely from google search uh, and SEO as a, a strategy largely has, it actually makes a lot of sense because if you look at Google, Google has really started to prioritize user experience over and above everything else, right? Um, <clears throat> so, for example, last year, there was this whole uh, conversation going on and the, there was a lot of buzz around Core web vitals and uh, what it meant and how what what food bloggers had to do and me not being a technical person I was uh, definitely overwhelmed looking at all of these numbers and then <clears throat> running my blog through the page Google's uh, page speed insights tool and then seeing everything come up in yellow and red. Uh, and aiming for those greens, you know, it it it's it seemed to be a bit overwhelming. But then I decided to kind of, uh, you know, tackle it, and I took the help of a whole lot of. Uh, people around um, I took I took help from a technical team that supports me with my blog with the technical aspects of my blog I took the help of uh, the people behind my theme, uh, which is Feast to design and they have a lot of great free resources um, on their website on their blog uh, which kind of help bloggers to work their way towards attaining the uh, you know the greens the green uh, sort of score on uh, core web vitals. Uh, I also had a lot of help from Mediavine's support team. And uh, ultimately, I did spend a lot of time working towards uh, Core Web Vitals and improving them both for mobile and for desktop. Um, the, you know, the toughest thing in all of this was to really conquer, uh, the, you know, the, the, there is this one aspect of Core Web Vitals called as Cumulative Layout Shift uh, or CLS, uh, which is something you really can't help if you have ads running on your website and so that took me a really long time to work towards but uh, i did see results and i did see improvements happening when um, you know i really dug into it and took the help of these experts to sort of help me uh, reach that green or you know marker on my page speed insights and um, while all of this can seem to be overwhelming and we do know that you know google does have its core updates and so many algorithmic shifts and uh, you know nobody really knows whether one day something pops up and then google decides that uh, you know what you've been doing so far isn't right and then suddenly you see a big dip in traffic uh, but i've realized that at the end of the day what what really happens with google is that you know they just want to prioritize user experience so uh it, it it it's just common sense right what google wants is it wants fresh content and it wants you to update your content on a regular basis uh, it doesn't want you to keyword stuff which is something that a lot of uh, several years ago a lot of bloggers were doing which was to uh you know stuff keywords in their content and uh, this was something that i was uh, guilty of doing you know way back in the day uh and uh, then google changed its algorithms and now um, it just makes sense to not uh, it, it it doesn't it is detrimental to your uh, you know to you to to your rankings if you start to stuff your your content with keywords. So all of this makes real sense, and then mobile friendliness because Google creates um <clears throat> has a mobile first approach. so if it just makes more sense that people that bloggers start to optimize their content for a mobile first approach because so many more users access the internet from mobile devices than desktop nowadays. So a lot of it really makes sense in the long term. Uh, If you prioritize, if you decide to prioritize social media as a means of growing your traffic over Google, I feel that, you know, that could be uh, harmful in the long run because you will be at the whims, um, um, you will be subject to the whims and fancies of uh, social media algorithms, which are constantly changing. And uh, you never really know how, uh, you know, how your Instagram is going to go. And Pinterest, we've seen so much happening and Pinterest has been um, pretty up and down, you know, the last ten years, right? So, so much of it has been changing uh, that I think that, uh, you know, the best way forward would be to really throw your weight behind uh, SEO. And uh, it does reward you in the long term and even if you are a small blogger uh, you know as you even if you're just setting foot into the big bad world of food blogging you can uh, outrank the heavyweights if you do certain things correctly and if you aim to uh, you know improve user experience at the end of the day so that's why i feel that uh, you know, we use the word future proofing. That's why I feel that SEO just makes sense. You know, in the long term.
1: Oh my gosh, you said so many good things. I loved everything, and I agree with everything you said. I think it's only wise to, in this day, to prioritize SEO. It didn't used to be like that. Um, how much focus do you put on Pinterest and social media? Do you put any focus, or do you just ignore it? What is your strategy with that?
0: So Pinterest has been something that uh, has been a difficult horse for me to tame. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I've been a bit of a late bloomer in the Pinterest world. So I started off with Pinterest, I think, back in 2018 or something, uh, probably late 2017. And I know that a lot of bloggers have had really good success with Pinterest. And I've listened to your podcasts. And if I'm not mistaken, you've also had success with Pinterest right um but for me so I was um I was I was very intentional about Pinterest for a very long time. In in 2019, I was actually investing in a Pinterest course, and it was an it was not a very cheap uh, Pinterest course at that. So um, at the end of it, I started putting in four to five hours per week, and I was making static pins and uh, was making video pins and story pins and everything that uh, you know the course said and that Pinterest recommended and all of that and uh, i had my tailwind all set up and i was um, publishing 15 to 20 pins per day uh, and i was i was pretty much burnt out with pinterest and uh, i wasn't really i was not even enjoying it to be honest you know um and i was and at the end of the day i was nowhere even close to the results i was hoping to see in terms of traffic and uh, my uh, daily views with pinterest even after implementing all of this was around 250 to 400 views a day and which is not too bad but if you are putting in that amount of effort you would expect a little more right so i decided then to completely stop Focusing on Pinterest. Uh, I then outsourced some of my Pinterest work uh, somewhere mid of last year to a virtual assistant. And she handles my Pinterest now, but uh, that's not entirely what she does. It's like part of what she does to help me out. Uh, But I'm very happy to, um, you know, I, I am happy to say that Pinterest is uh potentially in my bucket of uh you know do not rush do not resuscitate or DNR <laughs> <laughs> because I I don't know where Pinterest is going right now. And I think many of us, I probably speak for like several of us bloggers. Uh you know, we don't know where Pinterest is headed. Uh they probably want people to stay on the platform itself. They don't want people to navigate away from them and that makes life difficult for us as food bloggers who make revenue through traffic, right? So uh, yeah, so Pinterest is now in my, you know, BNR category, as I call
1: it. <laughs> I don't think you're alone with that. I think that a lot of food bloggers would say the exact same thing. Um, and yeah, it's it's wild, isn't it? I feel like it's just completely turned upside down. Nobody knows what's going on or what is coming. And so I think it's wise to implement your strategy, which is focus on SEO because Google is always prioritizing the user and that's kind of a safe safer place to be and something that's maybe a little bit more predictable um, I want to hear about your career as um, marketing a strategy consultant because I can imagine that you pulled stuff away from that job and you're applying it to all of these thoughts that you're having now is that right
0: Yes, and uh, yeah, that came over time when I realized that there was a natural link between project management and blogging. You know, um, so I, I, I used to work as a marketing strategy consultant, and uh, I was managing projects uh, with 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 teams. Um, and in my years as a project manager, you know, most of my tasks were uh, about having rigor around projects, and we were constantly scoping our projects with goals. Uh, and all of these goals were typically measurable goals with with a number, uh, with a tangible number around it, with time-bound deadlines, and uh, we were constantly having checkpoint calls and cadence calls at regular intervals. And uh, because many of these projects were scoped out with our clients, we would monitor them for scope creep to ensure that you know we were sticking within our budget and uh, you know our timelines. Um, then i realized uh, in, while food blogging um, in the last five odd years of food blogging i realized that so many of uh, the tasks that we do in the everyday life of a food blogger has a lot of overlap with uh, what what people uh, what project managers typically do and uh, and you know it, it can be very overwhelming very soon so uh, many people look at food bloggers as uh, you know they in, in a visual sense. So they see your Instagram and they think, wow, you know, beautiful images, you're good at, uh, you're probably just doing a lot of recipe development, you're doing a lot of photography, you created videography, and there's probably some editing also happening in the background. But these are the most, uh, these are the more obvious aspects of food blogging, right? Um People don't really get it that there is so much happening under the hood. There's this SEO, which is a huge, huge deal, and then you're also managing social media properties, and then you need to learn how to grow traffic through organic and social channels, um, and these aspects of blogging. And then for bigger food bloggers, they're managing teams and they're managing their accounts, and there's so much going on. Um, you know, not even I'm not even talking touching upon the technical aspects of the website itself. So, these aspects of blogging can take over your daily tasks and leave you feeling more than overwhelmed. So, uh, in the last um, two years or so, when I started actually making money from the blog, I started getting a bit intentional, a little more intentional about blogging, and uh, I realized that there are certain project management principles which you can apply in, uh, you know, the blog, in a blogger's daily life. Uh, and one of those things is goal setting um <clears throat> so I know that many you know all of us don't have us have this similar working style. some of us like to just put one foot ahead of the other and just see where it leads us and uh in when you're in a creative blind stress food blogging you know that's that's how it should be always uh but it also helps if you have uh, if you set out uh you know ideally at the beginning of the year or at a certain point uh, with a defined goal and a certain objective uh, so in pro- project management there is uh, this uh, term called as sm- you know having smart goals which is basically an acronym for uh, five characteristics that your goals need to have in order to be effective and smart stands for specific measurable attainable relevant and time bound
1: Food bloggers, let's take a really quick break. I'd love to tell you about just a few things going on at Eat Blog Talk that might benefit you and your business. First of all, if you would take the time to go to your favorite podcast player to subscribe or follow, rate, and review Eat Blog Talk, I would be so grateful and it adds so much value to this podcast. Also, go to the free discussion forum at forum.eatblogtalk.com to get in on the conversations going on over there with other food bloggers, like minded peers. You can ask questions, answer questions, and just contribute to great discussions and lastly if you would like to get in on the next mastermind group that will be put together in spring of 2022 be sure to get on the waitlist now go to eblogtalk.com and follow the buttons for mastermind and we'll be in touch as spring draws closer now back to the episode
0: Uh, while it sounds a bit like i'm throwing in some jargon here it actually makes sense right because if you define your goals Realistically, um, and have a tangible goal, you have a number that you're aiming for, uh, you can set yourself up for success. Um, so, I decided that last year in 2021, I thought I would make a bit of a plan ahead, try to plan ahead of time. So, at the beginning of the year, I uh, sat down and I actually wrote down in my planner, I set certain uh, targets for myself, and then decided to check in my, with myself at the middle of the year to see if I needed to make some course corrections and he needed to adjust those goals. So my goal was to hit 100,000 page views by middle of last year, and then my end of year goal was to hit 150,000 page views. Um, so of course you need to allow yourself, you know, some wiggle room. You need to. You, can, you should allow the chaos sometimes to take over. The numbers need not overwhelm you, but I like to use it as a sort of, a, you know, a guiding light to sort of set your path or to steer your course. Um, and I had the goal of 100,000 pages by June, which I did not make. It took me more time. I hit that goal in September of last year, uh, but it helped to have a concrete number that uh, once, once I had that number in mind, it was clear to me, that you know, this is what I need to do, and this is what I don't need to do. So, I don't. I don't also like to plan too much into the future. But I think if you break it up into, let's say, six months at a time, and set a goal which you can visualize, right? Or it helps. It definitely helps. Um, and then and and then there's uh, there's also this other thing which i realized i was unconsciously doing but then um, you know also ties into what a lot of management consultants use which is uh, so so management consultants are uh, you know to be obsessed with using visual tools and visual tools effectively help consultants to structure their thoughts during brainstorming sessions and to help them convey their findings to clients uh, and one such tool uh, is the two by two matrix, which is which is a visual tool that helps consultants consultants to make certain decisions. Um, and I was unconsciously moving towards this path, but then I realized that this is somewhere um, there was an overlap between what I was doing and this matrix or this visual matrix that um, consultants usually use. So uh, the, the 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 tool I'm talking about is. Uh, what I would like to call an effort versus impact matrix, all right? So, visually, it would look like so a two-by-two a, a two matrix where there are four quadrants, and uh, you're basically plotting your effort on one axis, and you're plotting your impact on the other, all right? So, you have four quadrants. Uh, there's one where, there is where your tasks are basically low on effort, and low on impact. And then there's another where there is your tasks are low on effort and impact. And then there are the the quick wins, which are low on effort and high on impact. And then then there are the things that you need to dedicate more time for, uh, which are high on effort, but give you good results and high on impact. So so in my head, um, the way I saw it was that something like Pinterest was in the high effort and low impact Quadrant because I was effectively putting in so much of my time into it, uh, but I wasn't really seeing the kind of progress that I, that I hoped for. So like I mentioned a while ago, uh, I was getting around 250 uh, odd pages a day when I was putting in four to five hours a week doing all of that work for Pinterest. Uh, And then I stopped doing most of it entirely. And, you you know, today I still get um, around 250 odd views. It it hasn't really tanked despite me not doing anything. So I'm happy to put Pinterest in the bucket of, uh, you know, high effort and low impact. And I don't really want to focus on that too much right now. Then there's the um, low effort and low impact uh, quadrant for me, which is uh, for me, that's Instagram. So, um, it's low impact in the sense that Instagram doesn't really give me the kind of page use that I would like because page use is ultimately my goal. Uh, so I treat Instagram as a means to flex my creative muscles in a way. and I like to do it. It's a lot of fun. I use it to get inspiration. Like if I'm running out of ideas, I'll just go to the explore page and then look for uh, reels and you know that really fires me up let's make this thing or let's try this recipe or if I'm in a rut you know it, it inspires me so Instagram is a lot of fun but yes it doesn't you know it doesn't lead me to that goal which is high page views right um, but it's it's low on effort and it's fun so I let it go I let I, I just I just do it uh, then there's the quadrant where uh, there's low effort and there's high impact and for me that's that's Facebook groups so Facebook groups has been a source of good traffic. You know, I see massive spikes um, of traffic whenever I post in certain Facebook groups, and you you can hit pay dirt uh, if you post in certain Facebook groups, and you know suddenly you'll see your traffic spiking, and it it it's really low on effort, right? So low effort and high impact because it takes you literally five minutes to just put a Facebook post in, let's say, five different Facebook groups. And if they really click and uh, if they take off, you see a massive amount of traffic the next day. So, uh, of course, it is not strategic. It is not a sustainable thing that you can do. In order to get that win, you would have to be posting every single day. And it can be spammy to so many readers, right? So you have to be a bit careful. But uh, I put it in my bucket of uh, you know, high impact and low effort. And then there's the final quadrant, which is high effort and high impact. And for me, that's definitely SEO. Because if you're playing the long game, then SEO is what you need to focus on. And as we all know, it's it's a uh, sum of several different things. You need re- need to work on it consistently. It's it's like a con- it's a continuous improvement that you need to be doing all the time. And uh, It is definitely high on effort, but in the long run, it will deliver the kind of impact that you're
1: looking for. Oh, my goodness. That was all great, too. As you were talking through the matrix, I was writing out a visual of it on my notebook here, and I just love having that visual. And I think you're so spot on with the Facebook groups and Instagram and Pinterest. And you have just nailed the personality of each of those platforms so well. So thank you so much for talking through all of that. (laughs) Um, And I do love how your job as a marketing strategy consultant kind of bleeds over into this and how it helps you to understand food blogging a little bit better because a lot of us don't have that unique perspective, but you have just talked through that so naturally and so well. Um, So yeah, just absolutely loved hearing all of that. How important do you think it is to hone in on a really specific niche with this focus of wanting to dive into SEO and put a focus on the user and all of that?
0: So um, I, you know, as uh, I think, and that's the case with so many food bloggers, um, you know, I started my blog in 2016, and it was really a hobby blog. And I was really writing recipes for the purpose of journaling them, um, you know, for, for, for posterity and more than anything else. Uh, I would hone in on the trends, and uh, back then Instagram was not such a big deal as it is now. So what was trending back then uh, it was you know the, the macarons and uh, the tiered cakes and the all of that. So I was pretty much into baking at the time, uh, and so I had a lot of recipes that were uh, not really consistent. You know, I had pies and I had layered cakes, and then I had a lot of uh, Indian recipes, and I I had like a curry curry series going on and I was also joining plenty of uh, link parties and now we know now we have some idea of how harmful this is you know joining link parties is really detrimental when it comes to SEO because when you're linking uh, very unnaturally uh, it it doesn't do you good um, in terms of Google ranking right Uh, so I was more focused on that sort of uh, nurturing blog of friendships and then commenting on each other's Pages and uh, I was blogging as a hobby, right? Uh, then over the years, I learned that uh, you know I needed to trim my content, make it leaner, and make it more focused and streamline the blogs. If I had to make this uh, some kind of uh, you know a source of revenue and perhaps make it my career in the future, so I felt that uh, uh, so I, I did work on this and uh, over the last uh, four four odd years or so what has happened is that I have kind of uh, found my sort of uh, you know sweet spots in terms of a niche. Uh, so I don't have a specific niche in terms of uh, my content, but I would say that uh, my blog is more or less 50% Indian recipes, 30% instant pot recipes, uh, probably 10% air fryer, and uh, 10% other recipes that I enjoy trying. Uh, that I have tried and I'm com- com- familiar with, such as Asian recipes and things that my family enjoys. What I don't write anymore is layered cakes. Uh, I don't talk about elaborate recipes from other cuisines and other cultures that I am not personally familiar with. And I definitely don't write about recipes that my family wouldn't try. So this is what I feel you know makes makes a lot of sense for me. And uh, perhaps down the line, this might change, but uh, I know for sure that uh, what I would definitely like to write about and that I would be happy to see on my blog, let's say 10 years down the line, would be some of my Indian recipes, some of which are painstakingly long and, uh, you know, if I, if, and, and not necessarily written from an SEO perspective. Uh, They're not really high in terms of keyword search, but for sure they're time tested. And I know for sure that they will be looked, uh, searched for uh, in the long run.
1: So I love this too. I feel like this is trending, like so many food blogs are trending in this direction where they don't necessarily have like one specific honed in on niche, but more of a, a collection of niche themes. Is that a good way to describe that, would you say? Yes.
0: Yes, I think so, too. And uh, you, you don't necessarily have to have a particular niche, but uh, find what you're comfortable writing about and then find that uh, sweet spot, you know, where you are able to grow traffic um, and find your audience, but also write about what you're comfortable with and familiar with and not just pursue, not just chase, uh, you know, the numbers with keywords.
1: And what are your thoughts on this? If you have a collection of little like sub niches like you do, um, do you have a handful of different audiences that come to you? Because I can't imagine that it would be, I just think it would be so hard to have such a unique focus in so many different areas and have someone like the same audience basic user coming to your site for those things. Do you know what I'm saying? So having like a, a handful of different audiences coming to you for different content.
0: Yeah. So, um, and it, it, this has happened, uh, you know, um, over time I've uh, come to realize that I have a largely uh, North American audience, a largely U S based audience. Around 85% of my readers are based in uh, the U S um, and, uh, You know, I live in Switzerland. I have never been to the U.S. Um, And uh, I, as a a writer, somebody catering to my users, I need to familiarize myself with, um, you know, common American terms and brands and stores. Uh, So I try to make that extra effort to, uh, you know, go through Facebook groups such as Instant Pot groups. And I try to read uh, about the posts that people have been posting, the kind of queries that they ask and the questions that they've been asking. Um, And I try to make myself more familiar with uh, what my audience really needs you know, and the, and the questions that they ask and what they are uh, in terms of where they shop from and the brands that they use. Uh, for example, uh, you know, sometime back, I was writing this recipe for, I was I was in the process of developing a recipe for uh, buffalo wings, buffalo cauliflower wings for the air fryer. And uh, I was testing this recipe and I realized that a lot of people have previously made this recipe with uh, Frank's hot sauce, uh, which is an ingredient that I wasn't familiar with—it's not available in stores uh, in Switzerland—and so I did not know how exactly that would taste, you know. So um, I improvised and I, I i wrote up my recipe. I did not, as I, I did not. Um, you know declare myself uh, as being familiar with frank's hot sauce in any way uh, but then much later i found that it was actually there in a swiss supermarket and then i tasted it and i was like oh this is something completely new you know um so yeah i it, I, I have to make that extra step to make myself familiar with the audience that comes to my website and that i intend to write for um so another thing i'd like to say about um, uh, writing for your audience is that um, you make sh- don't assume that your reader knows everything that you are writing about. So uh, for some of us, it comes naturally to just make a statement, such as lining, I line the ba- line the baking tin, or uh, you know, cream your butter and sugar together. And in case of instant pot recipes, and I write a lot of those, um, we talk a lot about. Uh, terms such as uh, npr which stands for natural pressure release or qpr which is quick pressure release and um, this comes natural to us but for a newbie who's just you know landed on my website for the first time this might not be familiar and so i might need to uh, mention what this actually means in brackets right um, and Another thing that I've noticed is that uh, so I write uh, about uh, Indian recipes, which I make in uh, an instant pot. But a lot of people would write in like I have comments coming in where people ask me how they can make my instant pot recipes without an instant pot and how to veganize it or what substitutes they can use for my spice blends. Uh, And so some of these things are not really uh, obvious to people. And I need to understand that. Perhaps what I could do, uh, a a good practice would be to then take these questions and then incorporate these questions into the recipe uh, notes or even in the frequently asked questions, which is something that I've been trying to uh, be consistent with, you know, add frequently asked questions as part of my uh, blog content. Uh, And this is what I feel really helps to uh, resonate, create content that really resonates with your audience.
1: Yeah, that was a really great explanation too. You are so thorough. I feel like you've given this a lot of thought and you're just going about food blogging in such a smart way. So super appreciate all of that. Um, Hi, I'm just curious, how much of your life do you include in your writing? And because this is kind of a debate, right? Like, do we become robots and we need to please the Google gods and write only for structured SEO, or whatever. Um, how do you balance that?
0: <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think it. It uh, very often we get you know tempted to um, get carried away with uh, looking at uh, keywords, and if you get um, a bit into the whole SEO, uh, you know, part of writing writing for your blog, um, you, you do tend to get caught up in Trending keywords, and uh, then effectively, you you you're just looking for those uh, you know low hanging fruit in the keyword world, so to speak, because you're just chasing those keywords because that gives you that uh, that, that big big spike in traffic that you desperately need. Uh, but um, I would say you know try not to get caught up in those keywords uh, which are super trendy. And even with gadgets that are trending at the moment, and um, I know that's difficult because I, I do write about gadgets, right? I talk about instant in- pot recipes and air fryers as well. Uh, but then I try to bring a sense of my background and um, myself as a person when I talk about um, you know my love for Indian recipes. Um, and I have a lot of them on my blog. And uh, like I said earlier, these are recipes that will definitely stand the test of time. Um, and I try to bring a bit of, uh, I wouldn't say, um, you know, things that happen in my daily life, but like my background, for example, I, I I'll always remember the taste of this um, biryani that I had, uh, you know, growing up in uh, India, for example. I would try to add a bit of uh, my experience with, you know, growing up eating that food that I'm familiar with in the blog. So, try. I do try to achieve that sort of a balance, and I, I feel like it is um, it, it is very tempting, you know, to chase after keywords or having a keywords only approach uh, in terms of food blogging. There's no doubt that uh, you know things like air fryer is trending for sure, and I have been tapping into that trend, and I I love my air fryer. There's no doubt about it, uh, but. If you remain true to your brand, to your personality and what you think you would be making and cooking, you know, 10 years, 10 years down the line, what your family would be eating 10 years down the line, what your readers would be reading 10 years down the line, um, then you have essentially future-proofed your blog.
1: Use that word again. I love that. Just future-proofing. But it's like we talk about it and it's not super easy to do that, to find that balance between being a human and taking out your experiences with food and also writing for SEO. But the more you get into it, I found, the more likely you're able to find that balance. But starting out as a new food blogger, I just feel like that concept is really difficult to wrap your head around. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Shinta, for all of this. Do you have any final words on why SEO is great for future-proofing your content and your
0: website. Why SEO is great, uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a struggle if you're getting into it initially because you need to have patience to see, um, you know, how it plays out eventually. And uh, it does take time, but you will see the results. And for me, I did uh, see the results. It took me a while, though. I, um, you know, I, I, was, I was reading different aspects of SEO and how, you know, that uh, how that would make uh, how it would add improvements to my um, traffic. Uh, keeping traffic as my goal always. yeah. Um, and then I did have, um, and what really helped me was to have a SEO audit with Casey Markey and um, that also opened my eyes to so many things which actually made perfect sense. And I think a lot of SEO is really rooted in common sense, right? If you have your user top on, on, on top of your mind, you're essentially writing for them. Um, so, if if you if if you are writing for your user, then really nothing else should matter. So I think that is a great strategy and pretty commonsensical approach to use if you are aiming for you know long term growth. Great words to end on. Thank you so much
1: today for joining me. It's been such a pleasure to t- talk to you and just hear all of this um, knowledge that you have and just the way you've kind of navigated through food blogging. I am just fascinated by it. So thank you so much for being here, Shinta.
0: Oh, it's been a pleasure, Megan. Thank you so much. Yeah.
1: Yes. Do you have a favorite quote or words of inspiration to end with today?
0: Yes, for sure. So um, the quote I'd like to share is, uh, you know, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. And uh, that, I think, is uh, something that I had to accept because uh, I for a while, I was dabbling in a lot of things, and uh, I realized that I have limited time and resources, like a lot of us do. So, if you have to give up on something, and if you have worked on things, um, and and you're at, at the point where you're wise enough to, to use your own judgment and realize that certain things don't really work, it's best to give up and move forward, and then aim for, um, you know, ha- have a lo- have, have a long term. Uh, goal in mind and then just
1: go for it great way to end we will put together a show notes page for you shinta so if you or anyone else wants to go peek at those you can head over to eatblogtalk.com forward slash caramel tinted life love the name of your website by the way so great why don't you while we're talking about it why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online and on social media and everywhere else
0: so, you can find me at uh, www.carameltintedlife.com, and uh, I use the same handle for my Instagram and for my Pinterest and for my Facebook as well.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here, Shinta, and thank you for listening today, Food Bloggers. I will see you in the next episode.